This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Ten years of same-sex marriage and what happens now? Microsoft gets a hard no from the government. Union efforts are mushrooming. And speaking of food, do our Salish Sea orcas have a right to eat? And what about the predators who eat what orcas eat? And what about the people who eat what protected mammals eat? Welcome to Friday. And welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. You are about to catch up on what happened locally this week with an engaging panel of journalists. So before you do... Please get your affairs in order. Just take a couple of minutes and pay a little sliver of the bill at KUOW.org. Here to help me help you is KUOW's arts and culture reporter, Mike Davis. Hi, Mike. Hey, Bill. How's it going today? It's good. It would be especially good if we can make some progress on this pledge drive, final day. Well, I think we can, Bill. We've been doing so good all day long. People have been calling in, 206-543-9595. People have been going to KUOW.org. And there are so many reasons for people to give, Bill. It's hard for me to think of one. But since I have you here, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is one reason why people should give? What will they get for their contributions? Well... I mean, they're going to get uh, a thank you gift if they so choose. You go to online Ooh, and you can I see. About that. Yeah, you just can see the pictures of the, you know, the the bear, the the bear with the spectacles on the KOW T-shirt. The tote bag. Or, yeah, the tote bag. The so beanie. many choices. <laughs> yes, the beanie. Yes, uh, I would say the greatest. Um, and of course, they get the radio that they listen to. I mean, you want to invest in the thing in they, the utility they do that want you us use. To be here. They want us to talk. <laughs> Uh, but I think the feeling of giving something to your entire community, you know, not yes. everybody's in a position to support KUOW. So the way it works is that when we can, we do. So if you want to get that tote bag, that beanie or to support Bill and I and our colleagues, call 206-543-9595 or log on to KUOW.org. Thank you, Mike. OK, let's get at the news of the week. And I want to introduce my colleagues, Seattle Times environment reporter Isabella Breda is with us. Hi. Nice nice to have you here in person. Hey, happy to be here. Nice to have Marcus Green, Marcus Harrison Green. Good to have you in person. Thanks Always for being here. Always a joy, here. Bill. Always a joy. South Seattle Emerald, Seattle Times. Uh, we've got Crosscut Central and Eastern Washington reporter Mai Huang. Mai, you're on the east side of the Cascades. Great to see you on my laptop. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you here. And you can watch the show yourself when you go to, it's on uh, Facebook or on YouTube. Just search KUOW Public Radio. Um, Let's get at our first topic today. You know that Washington State was one of the first states to legalize same-sex marriage by popular vote. And so it was exactly 10 years ago today, 140 couples came to Seattle City Hall for a joyous public day of weddings. Among them were Seattle couple Robin Wiss and Danielle Young, who said she had thought this day could never come. You know, when I came out when I was 14, one of the things that was hardest for me at that time was this this feeling that I'd never be able to get married. It was like this, I had this, you know, kind of regret and sadness about that. It's 18 years later and here we are. It's just, it's so fabulous. Well, that right to marriage seems shakier now with the U.S. Supreme Court overturning the federal abortion right. Justice Clarence Thomas suggested that maybe same-sex marriage should be reconsidered as well. So this week, the U.S. House of Representatives passed legislation to officially protect same-sex and also interracial unions. My, this is not a requirement that every state legally marries same-sex couples. Yeah, it simply says that you have to recognize the marriage of all couples um, in whatever state they got married in. So, for example, if you have residents got married in Washington State where same-sex marriage is recognized, then you have to also recognize that marriage. But you do not have to grant the marriages yourself, or the state does not have to grant the marriages. Right. And this law also says nonprofit religious organizations don't have to provide services for a same-sex wedding. Right. And that was a key um, part of getting the Senate to actually um, pass that. That's an additional note is that actually on this um, yesterday, this, mm-hmm. this um, or the House and the Senate. Yeah, that was a key part of getting that through, I think, making it a bipartisan effort. 
Right. On the way to the president's desk. Mm-hmm. Um, what other questions, information, what else should our listeners know about uh, about this action in, in D.C., uh, something that Washington State did on its own uh, 10 years ago today? I, I mean, I think you made that point earlier is that, you know, I think the urgency, the Supreme Court decision on, you know, abortion and then the speculation whether the Supreme Court would actually take away same-sex marriage um you know i think for some context you know there's a law there was a federal law in place from the defense of marriage act from the 1990s um which was made unconstitutional by the supreme court in 2015 and so this essentially so there was speculation that they would attempt to overturn that ruling and so in essence passing this law um puts it makes it a federal law as as opposed to you know kind of being at the mercy of you know a judicial court decision mm-hmm. and your colleague at, at crosscut talked to people who got married at that seattle city hall uh, event 10 years ago yeah yeah so yeah so i had so we had a story in crosscut about couples that were married um and at that ceremony and um, one of the couples was uh sarah and emily coffer of arlington and they talked about i think one of the things that really interested me was kind of the evolution of that community. You know, they talked about how when they first got married, um, they're from Snohomish County. It's very conservative, a much more conservative county compared to King County. Um, you know, they would get kind of a look when, you know, they introduce each other as, you know, hus- or as wives, you know, that this is my wife, right? And they said that they've gotten less of those looks over time. And, you know, and that there's just generally um, just more embrace for same-sex couples that you know even conservatives are i think it's not an issue for conservatives as much which is probably why it's not surprising to see you know a bipartisan vote um as you know the report noted um in the radio earlier that you know just one person in the congressional digression voted against it so i think um i think it really shows kind of the evolution of you know how people see same-sex marriage you know 10 years ago you know it was (laughs) you know, it's wild. it was a wild, you know, some people did not support it. There was a lot of people that did not support it. And so it's really interesting to see. But I think it also shows just how long it takes. I mean, we're talking 10 years and we're finally getting, you know, a law that brings us to the federal level. Yeah, that one no vote in Washington was the Kathy McMorris Rogers of Spokane. Uh, and that included it was a yes vote from the outgoing Republican uh, Jamie Herrera Butler. Uh, and uh, anything, um, Marcus or Isabella, anything to add or ask? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just curious on, I know uh, the only uh, lesbian member of com- of uh, Congress, Tammy Baldwin, she said that this would you know, definitely guarantee that um, same-sex couples um, could be guaranteed that their you know, expression of, of love would be upheld here. Um, in the United States, but what's stopping what many people look at as an activist court of you know ruling this unconstitutional still, right? I mean, I was thinking about there's you know 1986 that's on the on the books that there was I believe it was called Bowers versus Hardwick, where the Supreme Court at that time said that uh, it was unconstitutional for two men to engage in you know consensual sexual activity. So you know what guarantees that a Supreme Court couldn't look at this and say this law is unconstitutional? Yeah, is there a guarantee? Is the idea that if it's if it's unconstitutional at a federal level, if, if it's a, does does that law that that says states have to recognize marriage where it's legally performed, so that in effect sort of uh, uh, stands against any such erosion? Mai, do you know the answer to that? I, I don't know the answer to that, and I, I think Marcus has a good point that you know, after all, you know. You know, there was a ruling in 2015 that made DOMA <laughs> unconstitutional. So I think it's a valid, a valid question. I do think that given how the law was written, given that you're not forcing kind of a federal, you know, federal, like all state, you're not forcing states to recognize marriage, rather just recognize the states. I mean, it's just, you know, with the abortion thing, that, that argument was states' rights. And, you know, essentially, this law is written in a way to say, hey, you don't have, you know, they're kind of leaving it up to the state to decide whether to recognize marriage. It's just saying, if you have a resident that got recognized in another state that does, you have to recognize it. So I think, I think the way it's written, I think it would be harder to overturn it. I mean, that's my opinion. <laughs> I'm not a legal expert, but, um, but yeah, just based on 
comparing it to how they overturned Roe versus Wade and kind of made that a state's rights issues. I think the laws were in a way where it does empower the states. And it also, I think the fact that there is that amendment that says, hey, if you're a religious entity, you know, you don't have to, you know, perform, you know, you have some say. So, so I think it'd be hard for a Supreme Court to like kind of tear it apart because there are a lot of things that, you know, that are in there that makes it harder to set, to overturn it, I think. Okay, well, let's pause there. This is on the president's desk for signature after a passage in the House and the Senate, uh, 10 years after Washington State was one of the first. It Was it uh, Massachusetts first, I think? But then Washington State, by, by popular vote, along with uh, Maryland, maybe? Maine, one of the first states to legalize same-sex marriage here. And uh, so 10 years on, that's the action uh, under the Biden administration. We are going to take a pause here on KOW and continue recapping the news this week. We're going to talk about uh, unions popping up and the response to it, even in the tech world, when we come right back on Week in Review. You rely on this podcast to stay informed and connected with your local community. And we rely on you. Without listener support, this show simply wouldn't exist. Be a part of the team that makes this show possible by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute. Donate at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thank you. You are with Week in Review on KUOW Seattle, listener-supported KUOW, I might add. I'm Bill Radke. We're going to continue recapping the news this week. I want to let you know that our goal this hour, our fundraising goal, started out as 30 listeners for Week in Review. And arts and culture reporter Mike Davis, we've got 25 left to go. Oh, we're making progress, Bill. We're making Mm -hmm. a lot of good progress. And uh, well, let's see, we should tell people, I suppose, I don't want to assume everybody knows how this works, but you probably know by now that KUOW, that you don't have to pay the whole bill. We're not asking you to pay everything, the cost of all the reporters and editors and NPR programming, but you go to KUOW.org or you call 206-543-9595 and you decide how much you can chip in. Yes. And you know, our listeners don't pay all of it, Bill, but they sure do contribute a lot. We are like... Over 90% community supported. Right. That's major. But guess what I have right now? What's that? I got some testimonials. I got three people that gave and sent us a note just, you know, to give us a little encouragement. Can I read some of those, Bill? Would you? Oh, of course. Molly Imbirian says, I've listened every day for over 30 years. I'm I'm now in a financial position to pay for it. So happy to hear that, Molly. Mm-hmm. And Molly is glad to do it on the last day of our member drive. Better late than never. Molly, yes, and thank you so much. Times are hard, Bill. So people like Molly, appreciate them. Yeah. Agree. Mm-hmm. Molly gets it. You do it Molly when you can. It. You you know, now maybe you can't, but when you can, Molly says, I'm in. Yes, great. better thank late you. than never. We have Lynn from Port Ludlow. And Lynn says, thank you for all you do to keep us informed with truthful investigative journalism and stories that make our lives richer and sometimes make us laugh and cry. I am proud to be a sustaining member of KUOW. Lynn, thank you so much. That means a lot. On Weekend Review, you always ask people what makes them smile. Yes, yeah. I have to, because sometimes the news isn't going to do it for you. The news so isn't going to smile itself sometimes, but there is hope and and delight and, and surprise in the world. Yes, and I'm so glad that Lynn gets that. We are so glad that you laugh, you cry, and you smile with us. And I have one more from Karen in Seattle, and Karen says... I'm a sustaining member, but wanted to give extra to support your effort. I value your integrity and reporting. Thank you, Karen. Special shout out to Karen. Karen is already a member, Bill, but she gave extra. That says a lot. That says a lot. (laughs) Thank you so much. That's beautiful. I, I, I feel like we've done it. I feel like we've made the case. <laughs> it's the final day of our pledge drive. What else do you need to be somebody who chips this number down? We started with 30. We're down to 25 people left to go in this hour, and the hour is going to go by quick. I try to make sure of that. Um, so right now, please, area code 206 
543-9595 or go to KUOW.org and uh, please leave one of those thoughtful messages and we like we like passing them on. Yes, we need listener support from everybody out there so that we can continue having shows like Week in Review so you can have this panel of our esteemed colleagues who come in and break down the news. You guys are about to get a really special treat this hour. I got a sneak peek into what's coming up. We have to make sure that this continues. We cannot do this without you all. So, Bill, one more time, can you please just let the people know where they can go if they want to support? Thank you. Finally, it's KUOW.org. And if you're a phone type, a talk-to-a-person type, thank you. 206-543-9595. Mike, will you come back in a bit? I will be with here. an update? Okay. Of course. All right. Let's continue rolling on with the news of the week with Seattle Times and South Seattle Emerald columnist Marcus Green and Seattle Times environment reporter Isabella Breda, Crosscut Central and Eastern Washington reporter Mai Wong, and uh, I'm your host, Bill Radke. We're uh, doing the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. Just search KUOW Public Radio. Okay. This week, the Federal Trade Commission said it will sue to stop Microsoft from making its biggest acquisition ever. For $69 billion, Microsoft is trying to buy Activision Blizzard, which makes the Call of Duty video game series. Marcus, when you agreed to come on KOW's Week in Review, you swore an oath to explain this FTC action. Marcus, will you now answer that Call of Duty? I cert- Wow. I certainly will. <laughs> certainly will, Bill. Thank you. I see what For you did service. there. I see what you did there, too. Um, so to help explain uh, this whole thing, I, I did a very scientific, some scientific research. I went to my nephew and to my young cousin. Mm-hmm. They are both gamers. I have both bought them guilt gifts. Um, you know, from Activision Blizzard in the past. Essentially, what we have here, and just to set the table, is we are talking about uh, this industry that's in the that the you're talking about the video game industry that is ninety point two billion dollars in the U.S. worldwide. That's two hundred billion. Just for contrast, the movie and film industry, which every single week we're like, what's the number one movie in the world? Yada yada yada. The movie and film industry is only $25.8 billion, which nothing to sneeze at. That's $25.8 billion, give or take five bucks that I, yeah. you know, that I don't have. Uh-huh. But <laughs> That's a great <laughs> illustration. <laughs> but at the end of the day, this is basically what the government is trying to say is that if uh, Microsoft ends up buying Activision, which is right now the number nine video game maker in the world, it will by default – take over as the number two video game maker in the world from Sony. Now, here's the thing. Microsoft is worth $1.8 trillion, with a T, for uh-huh. T for the nice monopolist, like some people say, uh-huh. uh, compared to Sony, which is only, uh, only relatively, only $100 billion. That's all that Sony is worth. The, what the FTC is saying is that ultimately Microsoft can artificially prop up its video game division so that at the end of the day, it doesn't need to innovate, doesn't need to create new titles like Sony does. It can use the profits from its off- Microsoft Office uh, software, which it makes $30, $30 billion a year off of, mm-hmm. and presto changeo, essentially have this wonderful monopoly in this $200 billion industry. What it can also do is if it ends up if this does end up going through and it has uh, and it buys uh, Activision or the, the merger, I should say, uh, goes mm-hmm. through, then that means like a game like Call of Duty, which is the prevailing number one video game franchise in the world, it can essentially make it exclusive to Microsoft consoles. That means that uh, Sony's PlayStation would not be able to have this game. So yep. it can artificially also hurt uh, Sony's market share because I can tell you my young nephew loves his Call of Duty. I loves it so much that he really, really needs to go ahead and apply for a job that he has not done, but I'm, you know, whatever. It's just, it's, I'm proud beating him on air, yes, because I want you to get a job out. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, but but essentially what this does is it says it it can essentially squeeze them out of the market. If more and more of the, the games that people want to play aren't on Sony, it's like, why in the world would you buy a Sony? Mm-hmm. Now, the F- now, Microsoft is saying, like, no, we've, of course, we, would, we want this game to be in the hands of as many people as possible. However, they've already said this and done the opposite. Uh, a few years ago, they bought uh, Bushida Games, which uh, out in uh, the Europe, uh, it's a European game developer, 
yeah, they at that time told the European Union regulators that, no, we promise you that we'll make these games available to everybody. Intel, Psych, every, <laughs> the merger ended up going through. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, those games were now exclusive uh, only to Microsoft consoles, consoles. And Microsoft has bought 10 gaming publishers and done the same exact thing. Okay. Now, what Microsoft, to their credit or discredit, however you look at it, they're saying that, look, yes, it, this could potentially look like a monopoly if you just take gaming consoles, right? There's really only um, Microsoft's Xbox and there's Sony's PlayStation. There's also a Nintendo Switch, but that's almost in its own category. Um, but they're saying that, no, the gaming industry is larger than that. It's also phones, right? And who has control over like gaming when it comes to phones? It's Apple. That would be Apple. And, exactly. And it's uh, Google with their mm-hmm. Android system. Mm-hmm. And they can charge a... a a huge toll, and they do something like thirty percent of profits, thirty uh, percent, yeah, I should say, of, of profits for many uh, gaming developers. And they're saying, no, we're just trying to, like, we're not the bad guy. Don't don't look at our, don't look at the, you know, the uh, pay no attention to the, the man in the box over here. Look at the, uh, this monopoly over here. Uh-huh. And uh, so other, so this is basically going to come down to what do you believe? Do you think that this, you know, does spur and create that additional competition, or do you think that this is, you know, or does the the judge who is uh, who will be overseeing this case, do they think that you know this is a play essentially for uh, micro for Microsoft to get rid of the majority of its competition in the gaming space? Okay, excellent. Thank you for that explanation <laughs> because I, unlike your nephew, uh, would have had trouble following if I hadn't had that laid out for me. So I get that now, and I and from conventional wisdom is that Microsoft's probably going to fight this uh, and, and try to keep this uh, acquisition going. Yes. I want to see if we – because you told me something about Microsoft um, and unionization, which is – which has been like one of the words of 2022. So I want to segue into this is in fact a, there's another gaming company that Microsoft did buy yes. um, where there is a unionization vote. I think it's still going on and you were interested in that and Microsoft's reaction to it. Yes, so uh, there's a subsidiary of Microsoft called, called Zenimax. Um, it's and it's a quality assurance team. So essentially, the people who play video games and, and test video games, as my dad would say, is that an actual job? No, it actually <laughs> is. Um, they are uh, moving to uh, you try and unionize, and they actually have a vote scheduled by the end of this month. Um, they are recognized by the uh, Communication Workers of America Association. That same association, um, lo and behold, the plot thickens, is petitioning the government to actually um, go ahead with the merger of Activision and uh, Microsoft. They're saying that this would actually allow more bargaining power uh, for its workers, which in some ways, uh, for some people, that flies in the, the face of conventional wisdom that you need more that more competition in, in more companies then allows for better bargaining power. But right. um, there are some people who see this as a strategy of Microsoft saying, Hey, they they reached this deal with this union saying that they would honor voluntarily honor the union, which other tech giants like Amazon and Meta have not done. If essentially the union comes out in support of this merger, um, you know it's it it is fairly. You could look at it as a very shrewd move. You could also look at it as you know Microsoft uh, again being one of uh, you know relatively being a uh, shall we say. Uh, gold standard or Mr. Rogers, if you will, of uh, tech bohemus and actually supporting uh, supporting its labor force. Yeah, that's that's, that's unusual stance these days. Um, it, from in and outside of the tech industry, uh, this, that reaction to unionization. So, and when since we're talking about unions, I want to bring uh, Mai Wong back in here uh, because Mai, I want to know why there was a mushroom rally at Met Market. <laughs> Uh, in Seattle and Lower Queen Anne recently. We're talking unions again. Yes, we are. So late last month, there was um, workers from Ostrom Mushroom Farms. Um, they work in Sunnyside, which is in the Lower Yakima Valley. And for the last few months- It used to be in months, Thurston County, by the way. It used to be in Lacey, yes, yeah. actually for, for decades. And then in 2019, they built a new facility in Sunnyside. And yeah, the workers are in Sunnyside. So uh, for the last few months, they've been working to unionize. Um, they are looking to unionize under the uh, United Farm Workers. And 
So they've been working on that. And one of the challenges is, is that unlike a lot of other unions, for example, the, the workers uh, at uh, Xenomax, for example, um, they are excluded from the National Labor Relations Act, which means they can't go to NRB, the National Labor Relations Board, and force the company's hand to unionize. So they have to find other ways to force the company's hand. And so one way to do that is to get community support. So Metropolitan Market is one of many grocery stores that stock mushrooms that are produced by Austrian mushrooms. So the idea is go to Seattle, let the shoppers know, hey, we're trying to organize. And if you care about workers and you care about the, you know, the food you eat being ethical, you should support our union unionizing efforts. So that is why they were in Seattle. And they're planning to continue this. Um, they said they were planning to go to Portland, where Austrian mushrooms are also, um, also sold. So they're looking to get some community support and get, you know, because, again, they can't use, you know, NRB to force the hands that are trying to kind of, you know, use good old PR to to get the company to recognize voluntarily recognize their union. Well, what would a Seattle shopper do about that if they if they did care? Well, they could go call. They could not buy the mushrooms. <laughs> mm-hmm. They could go call Austrian mushrooms and say, "Hey, um, you know, if you want, you know, you should care, you know, I, or or speak out and say, "Hey, I care about how my food is made." And I hear I saw these workers, and so yeah, they could. In theory, the community could. You know, send a note to Ostrom and say, hey, or they can, you know, find, you know, support the the union in other ways. And so I think it's just, you know, you vote with your dollar. Right. OK, that um, so that's going on right now in lower Yakima Valley, this this attempt to organize. Um, Isabella Breda, we're going to start talking about the feeding that happens under the waves oh, beautiful. Uh, in a moment. Yeah. When, when we come back from a break. Will you tell us uh, what's going on with the the arguably legal rights of the Southern resident orca and uh, and get some pull some pinnipeds into the discussion as well? Sure. Excellent. Anytime. Okay, you're listening to Week in <laughs> Review. We're recapping some of the really interesting things that have gone on this week, um, as we do every week. We've got Marcus Harrison Green here, Isabella Breda, Mai Wong, and we're going to come right back. Mike Davis, I hope. Are you going to give us an update? Some more, some new information on this pledge drive in just a moment? I have an exciting update. Oh, okay. Then, then don't go away. You're listening to Week in Review on KUOW. I'm Bill Radke. Maybe you listen every single Friday. Maybe you've been listening for years. Who knows? It's time. Doesn't matter. It's time right now on the final day of this membership drive for you to be an investor, for you to be someone who helps make this show and all our programming happen. Uh, I'm here, first of all, with a website, KUOW.org, a phone number, 206 206- Five four three nine five nine five and a colleague, KOW arts and culture reporter Mike Davis. Hi, Mike. Hey, Bill. What's the update? You promised me that you had something to tell us. I promise, and it is exciting. We are only halfway through our hour so mm-hmm. far. We had a goal of thirty listeners, and we only need ten more to reach that goal. Bill, we are almost there. Okay, this is happening. It's happening. It's. Ha- I feel like. We're batting a thousand right now. It's like every hour that I've been here, we've hit all our goals. This is amazing. Well, then it must be you. Yeah, collecting money is fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for example, is there is there anyone else we can meet who who went to KUOW.org or called us at five four three nine five nine five? Yes, we can. Mm-hmm. New members are rolling in, Bill. We have Monica in Seattle, and Monica says. I love that KUOW keeps me up to date without any slant or bias, just honest truth. Monica, thank you so much. Monica, you must be listening right now. You must have just heard that last segment because that's exactly I was about to say the same thing. Marcus is laying out the whole thing. Well, it depends on who you believe, how you look at it. This is what they say. This is what they say. Yes. Yes. And we also have Craig from Tacoma. Love when we get those South Sound listeners. I learned so much about the world just by listening to KUOW. Craig, I'm so happy that we can do that for you. And we got one more, Bill. Okay. That's not even all. We have another one. All right. They keep coming. Good. Come on. We got Lucinda from Redmond. And Lucinda says, I just donated because I support free speech 
and access to reliable, trustworthy information for all. Lucinda, thank you so much. That is exactly what we're trying to do here. And Bill, I'm supposed to say why people should donate. And, you know, I don't think there's anything more than I can say than listen to the rest of the show right now. You want to hear truth to power. You want to hear journalists. We got some of our partners from the Times, some of our partners from the South Seattle Emerald. And we are here doing exactly what we do at KUOW, giving you the news and information that you need. But, Bill, they need to know how they can donate. Where okay. Do they go? That's it. Bottom line, then, it's KUOW.org. You got two options, KUOW.org or you call 206 206- Five four three nine five nine five. Thank you, Mike. Update in a few minutes, I hope. Update in a few minutes. Okay. So uh, back with, yes, the Seattle Times. Yes, South Seattle Emerald. Yes, Crosscut bringing you Week in Review and live streaming the show on YouTube and on Facebook. So this week, the city of Port Townsend proclaimed that our southern resident orcas have legal rights. The first time a U.S. city has done that that I know of, Isabella, um, what legal rights did Mayor David Faber confer upon the whales? Sure. So basically he was laying out that they have the right, kind of like we would expect, to eat and to live without being taunted or harmed and swim through their normal habitat, just like basically the right to exist. You know, it didn't necessarily put anything into action. It wasn't an executive order saying do these things. It just said, hey, we can treat these guys like equals, and we should, and why haven't we? Um, but the biggest thing that came out of this is this realization that a lot of these things that were outlined, the right to eat food, their normal and wild-caught food, which would be Chinook salmon, that's their number one food source, mm-hmm. they're not really there or available. Some of these rights just currently don't exist from over-harvest, from pollution, from generations of human action that have knocked down and debilitated some of these salmon populations. We have boat traffic that makes it hard for these orcas to hunt, and those boat tones come out at the same range that they use to communicate with each other, so that leads to them getting separated and lost. I mean, it's just, there's a laundry list of things that they currently don't have access to. Even though, I mean, don't they kind of have legal rights under the Endangered Species Act, Marine Mammal Protection Act? Sure. It's like, okay, well, we can't hunt them and we can't taunt them and your boat can't come too close to them. But just the sheer amount of boat traffic coming through, the things that we have permitted have harmed orca populations over the years. And Mai Huang, you uh, were wondering something that I wondered too, which is what could the effect of this um, sort of the logic of declaration of rights mean for a project? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious from like a business end mm-hmm. because, you know, I, as you mentioned <laughs> um, as well, uh, you know, the businesses do things, boats, you know, there's so much human activity that, you know, prevents orcas from doing those basic things and so i'm just curious how this translates to like a regulation regulations for business you know to build any number of things you know in the ocean or to to do activity in the ocean sure and we haven't i mean this is the first as far as we know the first u.s city to do anything like this to really recognize a marine mammal as equal and their inherent rights um but the potential is it could open the door for other legislation to come out. We saw actually just yesterday the House passed Rick Larson's bill um, that would expand the Marine Mammal Protection Act. Um, it would allocate some funding to the Coast Guard to continue to study the effects of like sound pollution underwater, um, set stricter vessel like boat regulations so you can't go above a certain speed in some areas. Maybe boats won't even be allowed to travel in some areas anymore if it's potentially harmful. Yeah, imagine outlawing whale watching, or as I call it, whale bothering. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sort of an institution here. Yeah. 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 Uh, You know, I thought of that, actually, because I I was thinking, like, orcas, like, provide so much entertainment, and (laughs) I know this sounds kind of funny, but, like, they really don't have any say. Like, we're just, like, watching them, and, you know, and, like, yeah, like, we never think about, like, how does that disturb their, like, day-to-day life? I mean, you know, and... And so, yeah, I, that was actually one of the things I kind of thought about because it's such a popular activity, you know, not end of, end of the state. So, yeah. Marcus, any information, any questions? Along yeah. those lines? Yes, I have to say, and, and great work, Isabella, as well. Um, 
and I and I'm asking this like earnest in earnest. Uh, I promise you. I was, uh, but I was reading some of the proclamation and the declaration, and it said um, these rights include, but are not limited to, the right to life, autonomy, culture, free and safe passage, adequate food supply from naturally occurring sources, and freedom from conditions causing physical, emotional, and mental harm, including a habitat degraded by noise, pollution, and contamination. And I had to just wonder. Um, can black folks get in on this? Like, is it going down like this in Port Townsend? I mean, you know, what, what, what's going on? I don't know much about the city of Port Townsend, but it'd be great, you know, if cities, small cities, especially like Port Townsend, could consider these things for everyone. But we'll have to see. All right. Well, we're talking about rights here. Uh, and I will want to know, so Isabella, the orcas, if they, they could have a legal right to food, but if the salmon they eat, as you said, are not there or are endangered, do the salmon have a right to live? And what about the seals and the sea lions? What are their rights to prey on the salmon who want to live? Well, how, does that, how does that go? Sure. Well, I think since the Marine Mammal Protection Act in 1972, seals and sea lions have had some of the greatest protections of, like, maybe any species. I mean, even as Marcus was calling out, like, can everyone get in on the access to the protections that they have? Who knows? But we saw a lot of the populations balloon, like California sea lions since the Marine Mammal Protection Act until like 2015, the 2010s, went from 50,000 to 300,000. And those are the guys that travel along the West Coast. There's also like native stellar sea lions, and those populations have exploded up north in the San Juans. You can go and see hundreds on like haul-out sites at any point. Um, Same with seal populations, those like more than quadrupled all in and around the Salish Sea. Um, So, yeah, like the protections worked really well. But in the process of that, I think we realized that they're one of the top predators of salmon. And we're currently trying to restore salmon populations. And maybe we have to reevaluate how that's working. Like, should we be putting marine species, marine mammals specifically, unintentionally above salmon? Like, is that what's been happening? There's been studies done in different estuaries that have shown, I think specifically like in the Deschutes and the Nisqually, that like 90% of predation on salmon in that area came from seals. Um, And about 20% of the salmon coming through there were dying. So we're seeing, that's just what it looks like from the outside, that the marine mammals are getting more protection than the salmon. And tribal rights are big here. They have treaty rights. Right. Um, And I think, didn't, didn't, was it the Trump administration allowed some Native American tribes to, to kill sea lions if they get a permit? Along the Columbia system, maybe? So the Columbia management is not just specifically tribes, but like DFW has been euthanizing some sea lions Department for a of while Fish now. Department of Fish and Wildlife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, anything else to do? We do we cover the short version? Sure. Yeah. Of this. Um, yeah. The rights. The rights of predators and prey and 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 people too. On weekend review, we're going to get into something that has made us or allowed us to smile this week. And before we smile, Marcus, I want to um, talk about a piece that you're working on. This was the first full week back in operation for the Postman, the mailing and and shipping um, business in Seattle Central District. Its co-owner, Devon Pickett, was uh, fatally shot in October. Devon was so loved and respected that there was the, the response to his death was this very public, what we in the media call an outpouring of grief. You, what you notice is how greatly bottled up and unresolved our grief can be. Yeah, and I think especially around the holidays, there was a recent survey that said about a third of Americans say that they don't look forward to the holidays because they conjure up memories of lost loved ones. And I think that underscores the fact that we don't really know how to talk about grief in Western culture, right? We don't have a vocabulary for it. And I was just thinking about, I mean, you brought up Devon, but I mean, there's been other um, tragedies that have happened. There's, you know, Jordan Jackson, the, the Bellevue officer who was killed. There's uh, a collision, a, a motorcycle yeah. collision. Right. Excuse me. A collision. And there was a uh, there was a there's been an uptick in uh, gun violence that uh, has been you know, talked about. Um, there's have been members of our own house community who have passed on. Um, you know, this is just here in, in the greater Seattle area. And the fact is that, 
you know, I think we can, the piece that I'm doing now is about how we can try to be a model for how we discuss and talk about grief. You have to understand that all of this, not only are we talking about the last, you know, two and a half something years coming out of the pandemic, but we're just talking about a, a culture where we continuously sort of have a move on and get over it attitude, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to a, in like in, in Eastern, in some Eastern cultures where it's like, no, grief is going to be with you for a while. And grief is a complex emotion. It, it is, it's, it is nonlinear. It doesn't have um, necessarily a, an expiration date. And I think the fact that we don't have an ability at times to, or we feel shame, I should say, in, in holding on to grief or having it for longer than, than a week or two. I was, uh, I want to be, you know, full disclosure, I had a, my youngest brother passed away about a month ago uh, in, an, in an accident. He died from uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, and just I'm so sorry, Marcus. Thank you. And uh, just last week, I was at something. People were asking me how I was doing, and I put on sort of this social concealer, if you will, of "Oh, I'm doing great," and I have a smile. And, and no, I'm not. It, it hurts like hell. It, it still hurts like hell. And I think the fact that um, in our society, many times we have, uh, you know, we have these phrases that are very well intentioned, but they can be insensitive. Of oh. Um, you know, this was meant to, to be. Are things happened for a reason? Are there been mm-hmm. a better place? When what we can do is, is something that I think, um, like in doing this piece that I've realized, is that the sort of antidote for grief isn't sort of false hope, but I think the antidote for grief is faith, right? A faith in each other, a faith that we are here, the faith that we can carry this pain, and but we don't have to carry it alone. I, and, mm-hmm. and an example I give is uh, my partner, she she texted me, couple days ago and she said um i don't know what to say right now because i was just telling her how depressed i was feeling and she said but i do know that i am committed to loving you committed to listening to you and committed to being available to you and i think in this society especially at this time right now that this is the season of giving the gift that we can give that's the best gift is knowing that we are here for each other right i mean why do we do any of this why are we meeting together why are we talking about the news Mm -hmm. It's because we are here for other people, and I think we don't we don't show that enough many times in our society. Um, we don't show that we are there for each other enough. And ultimately, um, I would just say for anybody listening, I think the best thing that you can do um, for anybody this holiday season, if you have a friend or if you yourself are in you know a situation where you know you're 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 feeling down or emotionally fraught. Uh, I think it's you know reaching out, knowing that you're you're not alone, and um, having uh, having somebody else express that. Thank you for expressing that. I'm looking forward to reading this piece. Where are we going to be able to read it? Um, it will definitely be in the South Seattle Emerald. I, I'm I'm hoping as well in the Seattle Times, but we'll see. Okay. So. <laughs> um, thanks for that. Uh, can we hold that together? Grief and grief and joy or grief and delight uh we always end the show wanting to know what did besides besides each other and that's most of it um what what happened this week to um to fill you back up it, could could you even feel it you talked about how you're just you know you're down right now so were you able to um were you also able to feel joy uh yeah i mean i think as uh, I forgot what the the uh, the quote is, but it's, it's it says pain of grief is as much a part of life as joy as the joy of love, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, life is is very much you know symmetrical, I guess, in that way. And I think even just not to not to sound uh, flippant, but I think just being here right now and um, seeing y'all's faces and um, hearing your voice again, Bill, um, that's. You know, it's it's a, a microcosm of joy, but it's a, a sort of, I should say it's a it's a micro uh, moment of joy, but it's it's joy nonetheless. I feel that joy too. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you you've been here over the years together. Now that we've been talking together on KUOW, so so thank you. Same, and it's it's good to know that uh, uh, that in this uh, I believe that I believe there's a New York Times article about men having a friend recession. Um, yeah, I saw and, that. Yeah, I think it's one in seven men who say they, they don't have a close friend or, or any friends at all. Um, it's good to have a, a friend in you, sir. So thank yeah. you. Thank you. Who? What? What else can you leave us with that uh, made you smile this 
this week, Isabella, or my yes, my yeah. I was wondering if I could jump in. Yeah. Um, so I was actually I wasn't planning on sharing this, um, but I think it's very appropriate given what we we're talking about. Um, is you know, uh, I love I, what makes me smile is just knowing that uh, Bill, you provided the space to talk about grief and um actually um speaking of holidays um so halloween um you know i was out trick-or-treating with my daughter and um there we stopped at a house and this house did this activity it was like and basically it was um, they were making luminaria which is you know these bags where you put the candle in and then you know you kind of you know it's very common in like cancer rallies and things like that so anyway um one holiday that's very celebrated in uh you know latino cultures is dia de la muertos where you honor the dead and so they had these bags with these masks and you could color the masks and you know the idea was you put a name of a lost one a loved one that you lost and you know this woman was gonna you know put all these different bags in front of her house and the reason she was doing it was that she had lost her her son her three-year-old son Mm. and her son loved halloween and for her this was a way to kind of honor her son but also kind of give that space for others to you know express their grief and to mourn but also celebrate their loved ones and so um so yeah i just loved hearing your story marcus i loved hearing about your piece and because I, i think we need more of those community spaces where we can't, we don't forget about our loved ones and where we can, you know, have an outlet, you know, and, and so holidays aren't, you know, a sad, you know, or I mean, it's okay to be sad. I'm saying that, you know, that, that we acknowledge loss during the holidays. And I, I thought that was a really cool way. Um, and so, yeah, I was really touched. Um, you know, my daughter put um, her aunt Sandra, you know, because she died a couple years ago. I put a friend I lost during the pandemic. And so I just really appreciated, you know, especially knowing that she had experienced a loss and that she was able to kind of share that with us. And that we, it was, I felt a connection with this woman, even though I don't really know her. But yeah, it was really cool. So, yeah, grief and celebration are, they're, they're, they're intertwined. Um, Isabella. Is there anything you want to share with us, too? Well, I'm just grateful we made space for this conversation to end off uh, today. Yeah. I think a lot of people probably needed to hear that right now, myself included. So thanks, Marcus. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. And uh, it's a good chance to remind people that the the show is is you know, it's about it's about people. The news is about people. We sort of we have these these other categories and these other nouns, but um, but we're about people. I appreciate our producer of the show this week, Kevin Kniestet, um, and our, our the help we get from Juan Pablo Chiquiza and Tio Popescu when it comes to sharing this program on social media, live streaming the program as we do. And we couldn't do it without you. There's no show without you or without Bernard Ouellette operating the uh, the program on the on the audio board here. So uh, thank you for being with us for another week of Week in Review. And before we end, we've got just you know a few minutes left in the hour. Uh, I want to turn to my colleague KUOW Arts and Culture reporter Mike Davis, who's been listening and updating us and encouraging you to be a part of this show. Yes, yes. All of that was great. I appreciate all of those moments that they shared. And I want to share a moment right now with you all who are listening. We are one person left from our goal of 30 listeners for this hour, Bill. One person to go. We're going to do it. I think we're going to do it. (laughs) Okay. So just text yourself and tell yourself, hey, we're going to do this now. We're going to put them over the top. All they need is one membership. And yes. it's, it's us. One more. I, I almost did it myself after that last <laughs> segment, Bill. I was so inspired. I, I almost pulled my phone out. But I want to give one of you all out there the opportunity. And I know that all of you have had these moments where you think, I was listening to KUOW and I heard this story. And we just want you all to know that that's what KUOW is all about. It's the stories, the news, the context, the insights, the perspectives, the people, as you mentioned. Mm. And we want to make you stop and think and start your own meaningful conversations. And in order for us to do that, we're going to need some of y'all to call 206-543-9595 or go online to KUOW.org. You know, I just uh, went to, I was telling you, because Mike is our arts and culture reporter, so I, I, I follow his coverage of the shows that are going on around the region. 
Um, you were at Act Theater recently. I was at Act Theater last night. I watched uh, Christmas Carol. And I, I was thinking, what, what if Scrooge had suddenly, after being dragged <laughs> through the streets of Seattle, suddenly realizes that, that the, it's the final day of the pledge drive and he, he hasn't missed it after all? <laughs> you there, boy, what day is it? Why is pledge drive day, sir? Oh, I haven't missed it. I'm as giddy as a schoolboy. That, that's that's the feeling. I can still. It's the final. The pledge drive is not over. And if I go to kuaw.org right now, uh, I can uh, I can be a part of it. Absolutely. Think of Tiny Tim. <laughs> think of Tiny Tim, yes. ladies and gentlemen. What would Tiny Tim want you to do? I think that he would want you to call two zero six five four three nine five nine five. I'm pretty sure. Yes, yeah, so are these the things that, oh, that will happen or only might happen? Spit it. i got to really work on that. But what I'm trying to say is um, KOW is here for you all year long, and we're going to be here in 2023 uh, if we can keep paying the bills. And normally we just take that for granted. I think that's a nice thing about public radio, that you don't have to think about the cogs and the yes. wheels all the time, the, the how it's done. But, but once a year, pause and realize that, uh, the people, the equipment, the bandwidth, all that kind of stuff, the editors, the producers, um, the, the acquired programming like NPR programming, it, it only happens because people like the folks you've been introducing us to, Mike, they one by one, they invest in it. Absolutely. And I also want to remind people, there's no paywall. So everything that Bill just mentioned, we're able to do that. No paywall. We're giving you podcasts. We're giving you drive time shows. We're giving you reporting. We're giving you NPR. Um, we also like to write articles around here. Any way that you like your news, we are going to deliver it. No paywall. All you got to do is go to KUOW.org and it's all there for you. We need one more listener. It can be you. Oh, you'll be so special. You'll be so special. You'll have your tote bag when you're going to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. You'll have your, your KUOW beanie. Oh, that can be you. KUOW.org or 206-543-9595. Son, is, the, is that T-shirt still available and hanging in the window? <laughs> the, the, the one with the bear, with the knowledgeable bear and the spectacles. Why, yes, sir. Oh, what a charming boy. Go and go and get that and bring it to all. The T-shirts. Kind of, is, is, yes. is that basically capture what's happening you when, got you it. when you make a pledge? And people voted for that T-shirt, Bill. That, yeah. See, that's the connection that we have with our listeners. They voted for that T-shirt. It is here. And if you want to have it, you can call 206-543-9595 or go to KUOW.org. Help us hit our goal. Get your T-shirt. Tiny Tim is going to be happy. You will no longer be a Scrooge. This is the perfect way to end this year. Final day of the pledge drive. Mike, thank you for all the all the reporting and um, and the the, the help of convincing folks to make that step. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Bill. I always love my chances to hang out with you. Me too. Me too. KUOW FM Seattle, KUOW Tumwater, and KQOW Bellingham. Thanks for joining us at KUOW.org or 206-543-9595. Enjoy the programming and thanks for supporting it.